You are Locked On Bucks, your daily podcast on the Milwaukee Bucks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Your team every day. Backs him down. Giannis into the lane. Giannis spinning. Welcome to Locked on Bucks. I'm Eric Name. Joining me as always is my good friend Frank Madden. And Frank, it's kind of a, a to me, a bit of a strange time for the Milwaukee Bucks. Um, just because you look at the loss that they had against the Magic, and obviously it was just a, a terrible loss and not one that you want to see. But at the same time, you look at where they are in the standings and know that they're probably going to be in the playoffs and when you when you try to zoom out it's like okay yeah you shouldn't like freaking out about individual games is never really healthy like in an 82 game schedule but that that loss just signaled more of their larger problems uh, as a whole just like the starters aren't playing well Offense and defense are kind of in a funk, and you have a coach who's probably not going to be back next year. I mean, I would be shocked at this point if he's back next year. There'd have to be some probably crazy things that would happen in the postseason. So it's just like an offense and defense that are kind of broken, uh, a lame duck coach, and you're just kind of sitting around. And uh, as I've said many times, like I just wish I had a, a fast forward button to get to the playoffs where something would be interesting and uh, like Malcolm Brogdon would be healthy, hopefully, um, and the Bucks would be at full strength. And even even with their problems with scheme, like they could still maybe possibly uh, find a way to win some games just through like sheer talent. So I, I like, I don't know, like I was like kind of looking through some stuff. Like I, I read through like Dean's thread today about the Bucks defense and it confirms pretty much anything you would have thought after watching last night's game that the Bucks defense is not very good and was not very good last night. Um, and I, I don't know, like it, it, it just kind of a, a strange spot. So what we've attempted to do here is create a, a Bucks potpourri, let's call it, um, as, as we go through and try to hit on some other topics that it, obviously there, there is a bit of stagnancy, I guess, for me, as far as truly compelling topics uh, about this Bucks team as we uh, go through the end of the season. But um, there are some other things kind of going on. And one thing you wanted to talk about and uh, one thing that you had mentioned was Jabari Parker. And like, we don't, we don't really end up talking about Jabari that much because just because, you know, he's still on like a minutes limitation or actually I, I don't even know what the, what he's on anymore because the Bucks don't really tell us. That there's a plan. I know there's a plan. I've been told that many, 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 many times. Um, but I don't know what that plan is. So he's just kind of doing his thing. And uh, you wanted to talk a little bit about him. What what are you finding interesting about Jabari Parker right now? Well, yeah, and first off, you, you alluded to our, our friend Dean Maniatz. Um, you know, occasionally Dean will cut a bunch of video from games. Oftentimes the 
not good games uh, and just sort of highlight sort of things going wrong. So if you uh, are, you know, are, are curious about it, you didn't see it. Um, I think we probably both retweeted those parts of it, but um, check out, go to at all the bucks on Twitter. That's Dean's Twitter account. And uh, it's just interesting kind of highlighting, you know, just sort of a toxic brew of, uh, I would say disorganization and uh, lollygagging uh, laziness uh, just lack of uh, you know just a team that just was not locked in a team that was not uh, on the same page and um, one 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 pot well not one one of many positives of Jason Kidd no longer being the coach is that like when the Bucks legitimately like don't give like an intense effort like we can actually say that and I mean Joe Prunty referred to it as a horrible effort and I feel like when whenever you know it came whenever we talked about that with Jason Kidd it kind of became like this like excuse for Jason Kidd's failings and we could never talk about the Bucks actually yeah. yes they did sometimes just not give up a good effort and obviously some of that, that plays into coaching as well like getting your team ready but um, but I felt like it was just annoying because we couldn't talk about it without making it like a Jason Kidd conversation yeah. um, and a game like last night I think is a good example like the Bucks did not take the magic as seriously as an NBA team should take another NBA team. I mean, that was just kind of a flat out thing. And so Dean has a bunch of stuff there just sort of highlighting the bucks. Um, just, just miscommunication or, you know, guys freelancing or guys being overly aggressive. And then other times guys just like not being in the play, you know, uh, Jabari Parker, I'll talk about in a second, uh, some, a couple sequences of him just deciding to not get back on defense at all. Um, so anyway, not one, to, as I say, one thing I wanted to hop in there on the defense, and I mean this is something that we've always talked about is the overhelping. Like that's something that would, uh, I mean you've heard us talk about it when we've talked about um, you know just kind of just just guys being two years ago, three years ago, it was when from the weak side corner guys were like in the lane on the other side of the lane and just way too far away. And then the bucks kind of corrected that. Uh, but now it's still like, if you're pass away, just like helping out too much there, we've talked about it endlessly on post-ups for garbage players, like bad players posting up on good defenders like Giannis and the bucks still sending help. And I guess one thing I was kind of thinking about, what going through Dean's thread and just kind of thinking about the Bucks in general is that the the Bucks and their helping tendencies like I think as a as an NBA defense you want guys to like help out and feel like they're part of a system and like part of a, a larger team scheme like that helps people stay involved when they're on the backside and, and able to you know stay in the flow of the game, but. I feel like uh, on the nights where the Bucks don't give effort, one of the ways that they'll disguise it is by doing all of those things, like all of those overhelp things where it'll be like, oh, I got here late, but look at how hard I closed this guy out. And, oh, I'm 10 feet behind the play, but I didn't let him shoot that three. Um, or it'll be like, oh, I overhelped here and tried to get this, uh, this steal, but I didn't get it, and now I'm out of the play. And it's kind of like the stuff... Westbrook used to do when people were excited about him being a good defender like oh look at him with the steals and it was just like well he's just being lazy like he's going for the highest impact play but really just taking himself out of most plays and I just feel like with the help that they've like kind of created there's just no 
there's no accountability for you actually doing your assignment. If that makes any sense. Like you never have to worry about actually closing someone out correctly. You don't have to actually worry about shutting someone down off the dribble because this system allowed you to be so crazy and run around all over the place that it would be, uh, how could you expect me as a player to go close out this guy super hard and run all over the place and then also do it correctly? So there's just like zero accountability and guys just like fly all over the place and take themselves out of plays and just play bad defense. I don't, I don't know. Is that something you would agree with? I don't know. It was just something I was thinking about today. Yeah, I mean, uh, I think and Dean's breakdown and the number of clips he pulled, I mean, there is not like one guy here that's like the root cause. You know, it's not like, oh, if you just get Jabari Parker off the court, then problem solved, right? Um, <laughs> no. There, there's equal opportunity issues and, you know, certain plays were miscommunication, you know, like, uh, miscommunication, like Bledsoe and Snell, miscommunication Middleton and, you know, Snell, stuff like that, which, um, you know, just, it, it seems to be just like recurring, recurring patterns. And, um, that's, that, that's tough, you know? Um, and, and again, like last night, it just resulted in a, a very, you know, bad team being able to get shots all night long. Um, and, and they were obviously hot as well, but, um, but that's sort of the recipe that, that obviously can be, can be toxic. And, uh, you know, other than Giannis, I'm not sure there's anybody that was really spared for the most part. And, you know, even Giannis obviously has had, you know, his share of, you know, issues where sometimes he gets caught ball watching things like that. But, you know, obviously Giannis is a, a defensive player of the year candidate for a reason. Whereas, uh, a lot of the other guys are having issues. Guys have regressed, you know, Chris Middleton, I think certainly if you're a Bucks fan, you know, one of the you know worst kept secrets is that you know Chris has just not been as good defensively this year as he has been. Maybe, maybe not last year when obviously he was coming back from an injury, but certainly a couple of years ago, two, three, the seasons two and three years ago, um, he was yeah, definitely a plus defender. He killed and, it on defense for RPM. Like yeah, any of any like team any team measurement of defense, like he was good. Yeah, and whereas last night, I mean, certainly Middleton was part of the issue with Jonathan Simmons getting all those threes and all other you know career high 35 points you know it wasn't really until Giannis decided that he was going to try to defend him in the fourth quarter that Simmons started to slow down a little bit and obviously Giannis is not like some you know Giannis being a a perimeter defender is probably his like relatively weakest spot so you know that that's not great if Giannis feels like he has to go and like be the guy to like lock down a a small forward or something like that because you know Giannis I think is, is a guy who's better off you know playing the four being able to roam more and, and being a disruptive help defender. So anyway, um, yeah, let's um, I want to talk a little bit about Jabari because I know, and, and some of it, we, we talk, we talk about it on air. We talk about it off air. We talk about Jabari Parker a lot. Right. And, um, you know, if he had two years left on his rookie contract, we'd probably, it, our, our concerns would be, you know, we'd have less stress in our voices when we talk about him yeah. um, because there wouldn't be that urgency to figure out what is this guy worth? You know, what are you paying him? What happens if you know he gets a big opportunity? You know, what do you do with this guy, and how does he fit in? Um, but obviously, the the knee injuries have been obviously super disruptive to his career, and they've also made it obviously very difficult to really get a read on him and how he fits in, and you know what his ultimate destiny is as an NBA player. And I, I thought, you know, all, all that is true, right? And defensively, you know, we can we can obviously talk all day long about our concerns about him defensively. But I think what you mentioned as well, like feeling like the offense is broken, the defense is broken, also makes it hard because it's like, you know, 
I, I have no doubt that whatever potential Jabari Parker has, he's not been in a system that's going to help him realize the peak of that. Um, yeah. So if his if his you know if his best case scenario is like slightly below average defender, I certainly wouldn't have expected him to reach that while you know tearing his ACL twice and being under a coaching staff that obviously has struggled to get anybody to defend consistently. So you know who knows, right? But um, I, I want to take a look briefly at the numbers because obviously Jabari is still coming off the bench. You know he's he's still obviously not playing major minutes. He's not starting. Um, so I thought it'd be helpful just to kind of help contextualize. Well, what are we seeing from Jabari versus you know previous years, um, and and what does that mean for him? And I think you know this struck me the other day. Um, as much as we kind of harp on our stresses and our concerns around Jabari's future, things like that, I think it, I think it's still helpful to to go back 12 months and think about you know when he went down with that second ACL tear. I mean, how many of us felt like we had confidence that he was even going to come back and be the type of freakish athlete that he was before? And I think it's I think it's important to just sort of step step back and say, you know, I mean, again, and I don't think Jabari is necessarily at his peak athleticism right now. Is his confidence in his knee at 100% of what it was? Probably not, right? Um, you know, you look at some of his like dunk numbers. He hasn't dunked as much uh, since he's come back as he did like you know before he went down with the, yeah. the second seal there, but. Um, as far as like Jabari Parker being able to make the sort of athletic plays, have the kind of like herky jerky strength and just sort of you know weird combination of strength and explosion that we got used to seeing. You know, we saw that baseline dunk that he threw down in Orlando the other night. Um, I think you have to feel pretty pretty damn good that you know if Jabari if Jabari Parker doesn't suffer another knee injury, we're not going to look back and say, oh, well, you know, if only he hadn't had those knee injuries that robbed him of all his athleticism, you know? Um, he's come back, and again, his, his finishing at the rim hasn't been as good as it was previous years. He's at 63% in the restricted area versus 67% career. So hopefully, again, maybe that's, some, that's just confidence, things like that. But um, but again, he looks he looks good, right? Especially where he is, you know, especially compared to where he was, like, the first time he came back from ACL tear. Um, you know, I think he was a lot less confident back then. And Certainly, I think the real standout has been his shooting, right? And um, that's an area where it really took him a while to get confident. He wasn't even shooting threes when he first came back from his first ACL tear. Really, Um, he, you know, he he, Nate Duncan always pointed out that you know he was kind of looked like he was kind of hesitating between like a full-on jump shot and a set shot, which you know, again, when he first came back from ACL tear, you're obviously not going to be jumping like you normally did, and. I mean, it's been pretty remarkable. Again, small sample size. He's only played 17 games. But um, the fact that he's come back, I mean, his his shooting splits from short mid-range, long mid-range, and three-point range at this point are all career highs, shooting 42%. Um, actually, let me let me make sure because sometimes the, the splits aren't totally updated. But yeah, now 43% uh, from three. He's a career high, 50% from the field overall. Um, you know, again, that is really important to see because obviously for Jabari to not only to obviously be kind of like his peak self in the NBA, but also to kind of if you're ever going to make him fit in with Giannis and the rest of these guys, you know, he's got to be able to feel confident and, and into in the idea of shooting threes, which, you know, in the past he's said things that maybe <laughs> about that, like that he preferred mid range, things like that. But and, and obviously there was the period where Jason Kidd just flat out didn't want you know, him or Giannis shooting many threes early in their career. So the fact that he's now, you know, showing very little hesitation to shoot threes. He's still he's not shooting a ton of them. Three and a half threes per thirty six attempted. He was at three point seven last year. Um, he was at less 
than Lowry for 36 his first two seasons. So that's obviously, you know, a big, big jump there. Um, but the fact that he's knocking them down with a high degree of accuracy uh, and, you know, taking a, a good number and hopefully that number goes up, um, that's very positive. And, you know, his, his true shooting percentage is a career high as well, 58% right now, which obviously is very encouraging. And so, so I mean, they're, they're, they're positive there, right? Like, I, I think, again, like the specter of another knee, another knee injury or, or some other injury will always kind of hang over us. You know, I mean, maybe five years from now, maybe, we'll, you know, if he, if he stays healthy, we'll kind of start to forget about it. But certainly in the here and now, like every time he, like, falls down or something like that, like we're all going to probably, you know, hold our breaths a little bit but um i think you know if he stays healthy i don't think we're going to look at him as like a guy that you know was limited by those two acls maybe developmentally you know that was an impact certainly and just not having the continuity but physically um you know he obviously looks about as fit as he's been still getting maybe his game you know his, his game for them things like back so far hopefully it kind of you know stays as hot as it has been and obviously there's a lot of other aspects of his game that he has to work on there are a lot of things the Bucks have to figure out in terms of like how do you fit him in um you know how does a new coaching staff work him into the rotation and play him with these guys and you know, figure out ways to maximize his talent but I just wanted to kind of step take at least one moment to say like hey there, there's some positives here right I mean his defensive rebounding rate is is still not great but it's the best it's ever been um, you know, again, he's at 19 points per 36 minutes, a little below the 21 he had a year ago before the knee injury. But um, for the most part, you know, I think we're seeing at least at least there's some positive trends there. And again, like what that means for his long term future, I'm not going to say like, oh, he's a, he's going to be an all star like, oh, he's you know going to be a 20 million dollar year player. Uh, I'm pumping the brakes on that stuff. But <laughs> as far as Jabari Parker being able to do Jabari Parker things, um I think we're we're very much you know seeing him do that and offensively at least show an even more expanded repertoire with some of his shooting. Yeah, I think kind of what it excites me is I have been tweeting out a, a little bit in the last couple of weeks, like just stuff uh, I always kind of am thinking about the Jabari Parker situation and kind of what he looks like going forward and how he contributes and how he fits in and obviously his contract kind of looming over all of that. And I, uh, I guess just when I saw the news that Andrew Wiggins was not happy with being uh, the third banana in, in Minnesota, I couldn't help but think of, you know, the parallels here in Milwaukee, like Jabari, Andrew Wiggins has been healthy throughout his career while Jabari has obviously gone through some injuries and he's kind of been forced into um, like a third or fourth person role here in Milwaukee just because he hasn't been available. So they've gone in different directions and found different people. But as I was thinking through it, it was like, well, Andrew, you're not an efficient scorer. Like you should be the third banana behind Carl Anthony Towns, who's the most of the most efficient high volume big ever like one of them certainly um he's just incredible like he should be getting more shots and you're getting you're currently getting in the way of him getting enough shots jimmy butler is better than you he should be getting more shots than you and in my mind like when i think about jabari parker i think there'd be times where if you're jabari parker you'd be angry and be like well i'm a more efficient scorer than then Eric Bledsoe, then Chris Middleton. Like I can go out and get those buckets, but I'm just happy. Like you said, like obviously my mind immediately goes to how do all these pieces fit together and how does it happen? Like 
and I don't often enough think about just how happy I should be for Jabari Parker that my mind doesn't even spend a moment on can Jabari Parker be an efficient scorer? Like, is he going to be okay offensively? Like, I don't have that concern. Like, it, it, you you just see all, and like you said, small sample size on on some of the outside shooting, um, but you just see the way that he plays, the way that he can kind of create for himself. Like, sure, there might be times if he gets to a super high volume level at some point in his career where maybe that efficiency comes down. But throughout much of his career, we've seen an an efficient scorer, and there uh, to me there was concerns that when he came back that wouldn't be possible like that wouldn't be something that he would still be able to do and we've just zoomed past that like that road that uh, i would say it wasn't even a roadblock it was just like a, a speed bump like we just hit it and we're totally past it um so uh, again there there could be times where this is less true than it is now but from what we've seen from Jerry Parker thus far like He's a guy that's going to be able to score, and it, at least to this point, appears like he's going to be able to do it efficiently. Yeah, I mean, I still, I still think back to when he was a rookie, thinking he was going to really be like a chucker. You yeah, know? And, absolutely. And ironically, you know, Wiggins was the guy that you said, "Well, is he going to be? Is he going to have the killer instinct? Is he going to be selfish enough to actually like be <laughs> a, a go-to guy?" And Wiggins from day one was like a high usage guy who basically didn't do anything else. Like he yep. didn't rebound, pass, didn't get steals and blocks. Um, you know, I think he obviously has certainly better defensive tools than Jabari. I mean, I'm, Wiggins is a better defender. As much as Wiggins is maligned for being, a, you know, a below-average defender, um, I think a lot of the the issue with Wiggins is just he should be so much better than he than he yeah. is. So it's kind of frustration with that. Whereas Jabari just is a bad defender and just doesn't look like a guy who ever will be a good defender. Um, but but yeah, it's interesting how they have kind of like been been different you know like they, they've been a lot the, the things that you thought were going to be the issues and things you thought were going to be the strengths have not really necessarily kind of carried over entirely um but um but yeah for sure i mean with jabari and and that's sort of the thing like the idea that like jabari can't at least be like a great um you know six man or like great like third score or something like that um i mean there's got to be a situation where he can he can be that, right? He has yep. too much scoring challenge, uh, scoring talent, to not be able to to you know get buckets efficiently and have that be you know a, a plus for an NBA team somewhere. I mean, the obvious question is: Is it in Milwaukee? Um, do the Bucks you know have the complementary pieces that make sense? And are they going to have a coaching staff that's going to be able to figure out how to put it all together? Uh, yeah, that was that was the question I was thinking of more. Is yeah. the system going to make sense to uh, fully capitalize on his gifts? That that yeah. was more what I was thinking. So anyway, I not I mean not, we obviously we'll talk a lot more about Jabari and what his contract <laughs> might look like and all that other stuff over the coming months. But um, a, it's I, I think overall, you know, relative to expectations, I think you have to be generally encouraged still by by Jabari you know relative to the guy we saw a year ago and, and coming back and just physically you know that when you think about the mountain of, of, of and the challenge of coming back that you have to scale to come back from a second ACL tear to the same knee um, so few guys have done this right it's really uncharted territory I mean you know it's not to say you can't come back and be a top level athlete um, but it's 
there are no guarantees, right? With one ACL, you always feel confident in this day and age that guys can come back and be better than ever. Um, but two is is scary, and so you just you know continue to cross your fingers for Jabari that you know the his health, uh, you know he continues to be healthy. That doesn't occur, you know doesn't get any setbacks. But um, you know, barring that, um, I think you know fortunately we can we can focus more on his game and not on well you know is he ever going to get his athleticism back. Yeah, and it, it's kind of, again, like you said, it's just kind of crazy that we've just kind of cruised past all of that. Like, I, we've never even, I, I don't think we had that conversation once. Like, the night he returned, he tried to dunk on three Knicks, and it was just like, okay, his athleticism is there. Like, <laughs> don't, don't, don't need to worry about that. Um, so it, it is kind of a cool thing to see, and obviously uh, the the future will remain very interesting uh, for Jabari Parker as the Bucks try to figure out exactly how he fits in and how they are going to try to get the most out of him. Going through some other stuff, one thing you wanted to talk a little bit more about was um, just running through kind of the the schedule and what that all looks like. And uh, the other night we had tried to get in some looks at like around the Eastern playoff picture. And I think I ended up having to edit it out because it didn't sound quite good enough. So we're going to go into that now so we can kind of look through it. And you said there was some new numbers that you saw today. Yeah. So, um, you know, we've, we've alluded to the fact that like Philly in particular is, even though Philly is sixth. Um, and nominally, you know, the Bucks actually have currently have the tiebreaker with them. They play the last game of the season, so the Bucks actually, you know, have a chance to make up, you know, one and effectively two games on them. Just because if they, you know, were to win that last game of the season, they could also have the tiebreaker locked up by doing so. So, you know, on the one hand, it seems like well, Philly is the team you could go after, but um, you know, looking at remaining strength of schedule, we've alluded to Philly having an easy schedule, and you know, going to Tankathon.com has remaining strength of schedule. Um, broken out really nicely and philly has the the easiest strength of schedule in the league um their remaining opponents are are winning at a 39.9 percent clip which is by far the worst in the league and um the bucks are not crazy difficult uh 48.8 percent but again some of that is also uh, a little bit skewed towards the road so they have six just six home games eight road games left so that obviously is is also working against them um but uh, you know, in terms of you know where where they sit relative to other things, the good news is you know uh, Indiana is the sixth hardest schedule remaining. Um, Washington has the 14th hardest remaining schedules. They are also more difficult than than the Bucks. The bad news is the two teams that are that have easier schedules that are relevant to the Bucks are the two teams that are the closest to them. So Philly having the easiest schedule, and then Miami has the 26th um, ranked schedule. Uh, and that obviously is not great because Miami is is right there with them. And um, but thankfully the Heat, you know, last night. I mean, th- this is one of those things. Like you know, we obviously talk a lot about tanking and um, teams not want you know teams that that obviously are not incentivized to win or are quote unquote not trying to win. Um, but last night's a great example. I mean, in the NBA, anything can happen, right? The Bucks on a back to back for the Magic, they go into Orlando and and lose. And then on the flip side. Uh, the Heat do them a favor by going to Sacramento and give up 123 points to the Kings, who obviously are also terrible and, you know, should not have, have beaten the, the Heat last night. So, um, you know, again, the Bucks actually somehow hang on to the seventh spot, at least for another day, 
due to that. And um, so it's just all kind of interesting to see how it plays out. And um, again, tonight we saw Toronto go into Indiana and beat the Pacers, which kind of you know brought the Pacers a little bit back to earth. Um, but again, I, I think it it's going to be interesting. I mean, I think you look at um, you know 538, some of the, the models out there that project um, you know where teams are going to be at the end of the season. You know, the Sixers are a team that are, I think, still projected to be the third seed actually in the East just because um, their schedule is so weak. Yeah, they're still at 48 wins. Cavaliers at 47 would be the fourth seed, according to that model. And then the Wizards behind that um, at 46, and the Pacers also at 46. So five and six, the Wizards at 46 wins. And, you know, again, the Heat and Bucks right now, at least in the 538 mile, tied at 43 wins. So, um, so again, just sort of kind of something to think about and, um, you know, I think the main thing for the Bucks is they can't do what they did last night, which is lose games that you expect them to win. <laughs> that, that's job one. Um, and they're going to have to steal some games against good teams. You know, again, if they want to be even seventh um, to beat the Heat, I think they're going to have to win some games that, you know, again, they are going to be underdogs in. And um, we'll have to sort of see see if they can actually do that, because obviously that's been a major challenge. You know, they're really the only kind of two games like that that you could call out, obviously be the Toronto win. And then I'd say the Philly win, even though that was a home game, obviously the way that the Bucks were playing, um, that was an encouraging game. But, you know, the, the gimme games for the Bucks remaining, um, Hawks, obviously on Saturday, they get the Magic again, the Nets, Bulls, Knicks, and then Tankathon lists the Lakers as well. I think that's a kind of a sneaky, tough game in L.A. against a Laker team that's actually been much better uh, over the second half of the season. On a back-to-back. Um, yeah, Exactly. And then the difficult games, um, Golden State, Boston, Cleveland, you get the Clippers twice. One of those is a schedule, should be a schedule win for the Bucks at home, and then the Spurs at home as well. So, um, again, like, you know, you want to take care of business against those bad teams, um, but then you also have to look at some of those good teams and say, where is an opportunity there? Um, unfortunately, the Bucks probably are not going to get the uh, Warriors while Clay Thompson and Steph Curry are both out there probably going to come back before the march 29th game although that's all kind of tbd thompson has a broken thumb clay's had this ankle injury that's kind of i think he's due to be reevaluated on the 20th of march um so again if if you could face the warriors without one or both of those guys that would give you at least a fighting chance in that tnt game on the 29th um but currently that's a tbd and then the celtics as well Kyrie irving um, we always worry about Giannis's knee. Kyrie has been struggling with a sore knee as well. It sounds like he's going to be missing games. He missed last night's game. Um, so we'll see. You know, do they get a, a Kyrie-less Celtics team? That would obviously be um, a huge boost as well. Yeah, the, <laughs> it, it is kind of funny to look through their schedule and try to figure out where can the Bucks find some breaks here. Um, <laughs> that, that would be really helpful. Uh, and I think it kind of just speaks to the struggles that they're having right now. But, yeah, there's... There's only so many games left, and the Bucks have put themselves in kind of a difficult position here. But um, when you look at it, I do think like, there are some some games that I think you would have looked at at the start of the year and said for sure, like, oh, you're not getting that one. Like, Monday in March in Cleveland? I don't think so. You're, like, you're not getting that one. But I don't know. Next, like, on Monday? Like, what is it? Let's see. This is coming on Friday, three days from now? On Monday? Yeah, you could get Cleveland. They're kind of a mess. Like they're not the Cleveland team that that you thought they were going to be. Um, so so maybe you can steal that one. And then if you get the Hawks, you steal that one in in Cleveland. And then you get the schedule loss that the Clippers have. 
all of a sudden you can put together a four game win streak with the Bulls on that Friday in Chicago on that Friday night. Um, so, I mean, I can talk myself into just about anything um, if I try hard enough, but it just comes down to this Bucks team playing better and uh, figuring out exactly what happens there. You mentioned uh, TNT games. It, it's kind of interesting to look at the Bucks. Uh, TV schedule they have at Cleveland on Monday, March 19th, and then back-to-back TNT games uh, Tuesday, at Tuesday, March 27th at the Clippers, Thursday, March 29th at the Warriors, and then end the season with an ESPN game at Philadelphia. And it's like, man, not that anyone ever feels confident about the Bucks in national TV games, but whew, with the way the Bucks are playing right now, man, I don't know if I want four in the next month, but that'll be uh, what it'll be for the Bucks. And uh, just kind of looking through it, like there, there's plenty of spots where there's teams that maybe aren't playing quite as good as you thought they would at the start that they would be playing at the start of the year. Yeah, I think you circle San Antonio as well next Sunday. Uh, you look at some of those teams and their name looks pretty scary, but if things hit right, there could be chances to get wins and. The Bucks just have to get up for them and actually come through and, and play good basketball. So we'll, uh, we'll have to keep an eye out on all of that. Since this is Friday, uh, we won't have a podcast on Saturday, but we will get you ready for uh, Bucks-Hawks on Saturday night. That is a 5 p.m. start in the B.C. Um, the Hawks are bad uh they're trying to lose games and uh, someone i i'm really i'm sorry that i'm forgetting who tweeted at the at lockdown bucks account but said that we were to blame for uh the bucks losing to the magic because we just uh trashed their starting lineup and talked about how they weren't good and you know what I'm not fearful of my jinxing <laughs> capabilities the hawks are not a good basketball team and the bucks should beat the hawks and if they don't well it's probably on the. In, it's a, I don't want to say it's embarrassing. It's not as embarrassing as losing to the Orlando Magic, who are on a back to back, who lost by thirty six in said back to back. So it's not quite that, but yeah, that would be another bad loss. We talked about how the this four game stretch were all sucks to lose games, and well, they lost one of them, and it sucked. So uh, they got to be better on Saturday, and we'll see if they can do that. Yeah, and injury-wise, Kent Bazemore is now out. Um, sounds like for a while with a right knee bone bruise. A um, number of other injuries, but not to guys that you'd never really think would make an impact. DeAndre Bembry, Malcolm Delaney. I, I at least know who those guys are. Uh, Antonius Cleveland and Jalen Morris. Uh, I, I'd heard of Cle- uh, Antonius Cleveland. I had not heard of Jalen Morris ever. Um, but Antonius those guys, is a great name. Great name. Um those guys, uh, at least, were out tonight. Uh, I think they got killed by the uh, Hornets tonight. Um, so again, they're not going to be on a back-to-back. Um, and at least that—that that was the injury report as of today. So we will see. Hopefully, um, Saturday's game will not involve John Collins like dunking 80 times uh, on the box and Oof. making us feel awful about drafting uh, DJ Wilson over John Collins. But um, yeah, uh, again, I mean, if the if the Bucks cannot get motivated to, you know, give sort of maximum intensity be maximum locked in for that game after the magic disaster um then i think obviously that would kind of speak to broader dysfunction in in the team and just not being able to you know really get a a group of guys to focus but uh 
We will see, obviously. Um, I, do you know why this game is at 5 o'clock? I, I was looking at this, a 5 o'clock Saturday game. Is it? Be, I mean, I know the NCAA tournament is going on, but are they, they're not like, nobody, they don't actually schedule games around that at this point, do they? I don't think so. My only guess is Bell Biv DeVoe had another show at 9 o'clock that they had to get to. <laughs> so they're trying to, you know, get two shows in in one night uh, for 90. No, I have but, no idea. Yeah, Bell Biv DeVoe is playing the uh, Red Roof Inn in Sheboygan later that night, and uh, <laughs> they got to get him on make, the road. Like this, this is gotta, the only way they could really fit him in. Um, yeah, they got a they got a rider truck. They got to uh, turn in the next morning, so uh, you know it's a, it's a tough uh, tough thing. But yeah, oh yeah, that's right. It is '90s night, so um, so there's that. I yeah, guess. I have but no, I have no. I idea feel like I feel five. like '90s nights have been pretty. Fu- I mean, I haven't have been that. to any because I'm not in state, but I feel like the '90s nights. I've heard good things about them. Uh, who they what they had vanilla ice once right and then uh did they have uh coolio once as well i think they had coolio as well they did uh they had montel jordan last year um which i am i'm a huge fan of uh so yeah they can do some things which is which is great um yeah i don't know why it's five o'clock start but just so you know i guess kind of a nice thing not that i'm the type of guy that goes out a lot on Saturday nights, but if you, you know, are that type of person, you can get the Bucks game over with and either, you know, drink away your despair or have a good time after the Bucks get a win. Uh, so that will be that. Anything else you wanted to touch on with the Hawks? Um, I mean, we can go into some of the stats if anyone really wants us to, but I don't know if we need to go much further than the surface level uh, of them being a bad basketball team. They're 26... 26- uh, all I know is that like Dennis Schroeder will probably like score like thirty five points or something like that because it feels like Dennis Schroeder is like always way better against the Bucks than he is against anybody else. So I, I really hope Eric Bledsoe like we don't get casual Bledsoe for all of you know. It seems like Bledsoe Ooh, just casual has, like, Bledsoe. I like that ca- casual Bledsoe is just I, I it's frustrating because like especially like if you watch like Dean's um, Dean's clips, you know Bledsoe when he's locked in defensively is you know a plus defender especially when he's not like totally freelancing um but it's tough because that's like part of his value add i mean he gets tons and tons of steals by freelancing um but you know when he's playing responsibly i mean i I can't think of another like six one guy who is as like hard for switches to really take advantage of like the dude's just you know I mean, physically just a imposing. Yeah, he's. I mean, guy, it's it's really hard to take advantage of, which is one of those subtle things, you know, that people you don't really think about much. But probably pre- having Brandon Jennings on the team may make us re- realize more the benefit of having because I mean, we just haven't in Milwaukee had these tiny little guards that you can just annihilate physically and wipe out on screens really easily. Um, we've been a bit spoiled because Bledsoe's obviously like a great athlete and really strong and. Obviously, Brogdon and Delhi are, are both big guys for for point guards, and you know we've had a lot of bigger guards in, in recent years. But um, but yeah, it's it's uh, I, let's not get casual Bledsoe. I, I want I want like good Bledsoe. Yeah. And then uh, I, you know if Giannis wants to reprise what he did against the Magic against the Bad Hawks team, I'm I'm totally cool with that as well. <laughs> All right, that is going to be it for us for this Friday edition of Locked on Bucks. Frank, I ended the other, I ended yesterday's podcast telling people to watch bad college basketball. Um, have you done any of that? You know, I watched the end of the uh, Oklahoma game uh, mm. today, and I was uh, I was really hoping that Trey Young and company would make go on a bit of a 
March Madness run. I mean, Oklahoma has been really bad for a while now. Um, you guys might remember I, I went the only college basketball I've gone to in like a decade. I, I went to see Oklahoma and Texas. Uh, Texas won that game here in Austin. Um, and I have like three of my best friends from college randomly, even though I went to college in the Northeast are from Oklahoma. So I've always known a lot of people who liked Oklahoma mm. and early in the season I said, Oh man, OU, I'm, I'm definitely rooting for OU this year. And then it their football sad. team lost in the playoff, and their their basketball team like immediately started falling apart once <laughs> I threw my weight behind them. So I feel slightly responsible for Oklahoma disappointing this year. But um, so far, that's the only game I have watched. Um, I'm not sure if I will watch any more games. And uh, I guess <laughs> the irony of me saying like you know early Bucks game for the tournament, obviously uh, no no Wisconsin state representation for the first time in whatever, 20 years, I guess. Right. No. Um, yeah. So it's, it's I, I usually, stuff. I usually like actually watch, uh, Wisconsin and Marquette, uh, in, in the tournament. And that's usually when I actually start paying attention to them. So I'm not a, I'm definitely a fair weather, uh, Wisconsin and Marquette hoops fan. But, um, by the way, here's a question. Um, is like, what's, what is the perception of Marquette and, and, uh, and and Wojciechowski, that's how you pronounce the name, right? Like it seems like there's a lot of excitement about them. They've had obviously, you know, Ellenson. Seems like they've recruited well, and they've got obviously had the two guards this year. But like it seemed like whatever random coach that they would have previously, like could always get them in the tournament like every other year. And it seems like they don't really get to the tournament anymore. Like is there is that is there any pressure on on him at this point, or is it just sort of like ah, eh, they're still fun, whatever, give them time. Yeah, I think it, the seat was hot-ish last year, and then they kind of put it all together at the end of the year, got into the tournament, and uh, ended up losing the tournament to South Carolina, eventual uh, Final Four team. But uh, they kind of put it together, and everyone was kind of happy. Uh, they had found Marcus Howard, who's this incredible like 17-year-old guard that shoots it from all over the place and shot 50 four percent from three last year which is just incredible um so everyone was kind of okay with it and howard and andrew rousey and now uh sam hauser all just shoot the crap out of the ball uh and their offense is awesome like i actually really enjoy it like some of my coach friends i'll send some of the stuff marquette does to them um just because i think wojo is like good on that side of the of the ball like whether it's nba or college like i just think some of the stuff he runs is really good but defensively they're terrible um which i mean rousey and howard are like 510 each um so you start two 510 guards well you're probably it's probably not going to go well for you um so i i think the seats getting hotter i think i've every time i've talked every time i've tweeted about how I enjoy Woj and the stuff that he runs. I typically get angry Marquette fans telling me how much he sucks. Um, so maybe that's just what the internet is at this point. Um, but also I do think there's probably some frustration. So I would assume that seats getting hottish. I don't think there's any way that he goes this year. And uh, he's got the other Hoser brother coming in next year. And some of the uh, freshmen that they had this year kind of came along at the end. So I, it'll be hottish next year like they need to make the tournament and probably make a run next year i would say and is wisconsin do you think this is a blip for wisconsin or do you think that the the greg guard era is like just not going to live up to 
to you know Bo Ryan, and we just need to get ready for Wisconsin having a new reality as far as their their program. I think there's a level of concern that needs to be had just because there was so much consistency, and I know you try to keep that going by having Greg Gard take over. Um, so like I get trying to keep everything the same and you know maintain the status quo, uh, but this year was a struggle. I, but at the same time, they had they were young, right? They're really young. Right? They were really young, and then they had their point guard Demetric Trice and Kobe King, who was their uh, biggest recruit out of uh, lacrosse. Uh, both of them got hurt in like December, and then didn't play the rest of the year. And so, like as everyone was kind of coming together at the end of the season, and I would say it was a pretty solid job coaching because they came together at the end of the season and were playing their best basketball at the end of the year, uh, despite those injuries. I think if King and Trice are healthy, they probably win like four more games, and maybe they're not a tournament team, but they look a lot better. If that makes any sense, like you're not going to think like, oh god, what's going to happen to Wisconsin basketball now? But Next year's a, another year where I, I think guard has to prove it, and uh, I think he probably ends up doing so. But again, I, I would say both both seats are hottish, not not fiery hot, but but hottish. And I guess next year, because Hap is going to be a senior next year, next year is probably like the year where they really need to get a lot better, right? Because yeah. some of these young guys are going to be a year older, and you've got like Hap, who's kind of this like really weird player because he's like advanced stat like superstar but he doesn't have any physical tools so he like was never a threat to leave early for the nba so he's like one of those guys who might maybe he's like the ideal guy for especially for a program like wisconsin to have because like he's not like actually like he's not ever going to leave um but he's going to be very valuable when he's actually you know for four years so i guess that's a that's a positive thing okay that that's my that was my uh little college basketball diversion i'm, I'm happy um, i could help you out uh with college basketball tournament time i just go into all caps shut my brain off and have fun uh watching basketball mode so um just so you know if you follow me on twitter that's what you're gonna get for the next couple of weeks because i don't know any of these players um i don't know much of anything about college basketball i'm just here for chaos and when chaos occurs i will celebrate it so embrace it yeah and i was i was gonna say i'm just basically gonna be rooting for the guys who i've heard of to continue to win games just because i want to have a chance to actually see them um because that's always annoying like trey i mean i'd actually had watched some trey young this year but it's just like annoying when you know really talented guys lose out in the first round and it's just like okay great like yeah. you know now i have to figure out something about these teams that i literally know nothing about and you know none of these guys will be necessarily relevant to uh to to my nba interest yeah i mean um, if i can get like four or five games scouting of like possible nba guys like that makes me really happy like if i can get four or five games out of any like top 20 pick i'm all in that's great like that that helps me um try to prepare for the draft and get ready to know these NBA guys as rookies like the next year as well. Yeah, and um, just for, for everybody, uh, if you were at all concerned about me talking about uh, college basketball and my brackets, I did not. I do not have a bracket this year. So I can, <laughs> I, can, I can guarantee you, you will not hear me talking about my bracket being busted wah, wah, or, you know, whatever other random stuff that, you know, everybody else. Uh, Eric, you probably will. But uh, unless maybe you just have a killer bracket and then you'll just be telling people about how great your bracket is, which... Um, to me is like one of those uh uh like it's it's not as bad as fantasy baseball people talking about their fantasy baseball or fantasy football teams which no like nobody cares about your fantasy football team so you know 
for yeah. Facebook, Twitter, whatever, like just whatever, you know, public service announcement, like nobody cares. Um, but bracket, the, the bracket is obviously the other one. Like, oh, I need this to happen. Like, I, it's no, like, no, you don't. No. We don't need. We don't need to know. Yeah, um, I was gonna say. Um, it, I I don't know if I can make it more apparent. I tweeted the other day. Apparently, a guy from Virginia broke his hand or arm or something, and he was their sixth man. And I tweeted out something to the extent of like, "Oh, I guess I need to change my bracket because of the injury to that guy that I don't know." Like, <laughs> I, I, don't, way, I, thought, I don't. I don't know anything about him. By the way, speaking of Virginia, um, Tony Bennett, Wisconsin native, uh, former UW Green Bay player, former Charlotte Hornet, now, um, you know, arguably the hottest coach in college basketball, I would say. Um, inevitably, we're, I mean, we're, we've already heard, I think, some, seen some random, you know, people talking about it. Not that there's any, you know, I haven't really heard any suggestions of who the Bucks are going to be talking to this summer for, for the head coaching job. But um, I'm Other sure than that. Other uh, you yeah, didn't so then, see that. That was that was just me tweeting. Other than you and and, and Eric Benning talking about Nick Nurse, um, but I, I am really going to be curious. Like I know people are going to ask about it and want. Uh, you know, they're going to be people who think Tony Bennett should should get a look. Um, I have no idea. Again, I don't follow college basketball. The only thing I know about Virginia is they're like incredible defensively and like pretty meh offensively, and it seems like they don't shoot a lot of threes, which is kind of like is always a red flag for me. <laughs> but again, like that that could just be, you know, the fact that Tony Bennett just doesn't have good players relative to, you know, top other top programs, and they just, you know, play D, and that's sort of how they win. Um, but I think it's going to be really fascinating because, I don't know, I, I generally am like a very anti-college coach guy when it comes to, I, I'm just very skeptical of college coaches making the transition from the NCAA to the NBA. Um, and obviously Brad Stevens has been this incredible outlier in that regard. Um, obviously there are like other great coaches who have coached at some point, uh, in college, but for the most part, you know, the record is at best mixed for guys who have come from college. Certainly some of the biggest names, you know, like Calipari's brief stint in Jersey, you know, Patino going to Boston, kind of the biggest, maybe most obvious kind of flameouts uh, that we've seen. You know, Billy Donovan still very much kind of a like, eh, I, okay, like, you know, almost beat the Warriors, but I don't think anybody is saying Billy Donovan's anything more than kind of like a, you know, blob coach, you know, like one of those yeah. just like fine okay whatever um so I'm, I'm really curious because again like i i will say this i am incur- like i would never want to hire a guy who's known as a great recruiter because i just don't think <laughs> i mean that's like that's the one thing that is so valuable in college that is obviously like not really relevant at all um in the pros obviously a guy like calipari yes i mean he seems to have like legitimately great relationships with a lot of these great nba players still but that's not you know typical of, of a college coach who's a good recruiter um but but that's the thing. Like I, it just seems like you always hear about people talking badly about the coaching abilities of a lot of college coaches, and they're just oh, just recruiters, whatever. But um, it seems like more rare. Like I don't I don't know who you would name Tony Bennett probably because he doesn't have big name players and he wins tons of games. Um, obviously, there's the Malcolm Brogdon connection as well. Um, but I am curious. Like it, it, you know, is Tony Bennett again? I don't have a strong opinion on it. If you do, feel free to tweet at me, tweet at us, let us yeah. know what you think. Um, I'm just very curious because, you know, there's always sort of these trends, right? Like Brad Stevens is going to get, you know, he probably had a role in Billy Donovan getting hired and getting a big money contract um, with the Thunder. And, you know, you see this in all different types of things. You know, Dirk Nowitzki gets drafted and is the hot thing. Then a bunch of European 
you know, white, tall guys who can shoot get drafted high in the NBA draft for a few years. You know, Giannis comes out and is really interesting, and then Bruno Caboclo gets drafted the next year. You know, coaches, you know, there's probably also similar things we might see. Maybe there's going to be another college guy like Tony Bennett get a big money contract because, you know, a team like the Bucks or some other team thinks that he can be the next Brad Stevens. I have no idea, but I think it's going to be really interesting just to see because obviously the, the, the transition from, you know, NBA to college, from college to NBA, where, you know, college, somebody was talking the other day about so much of college is literally teaching people how to play basketball. Um, and, and, you know, again, not to say maybe some of the Bucks don't need to be taught how to play basketball a little bit as well, but, um, but it, it's, uh, it is obviously, I don't say it's a different sport, but it's obviously a, a, a very, very different environment versus college. So, um, that'll be fun to watch as well. See if, uh, see if any other, I don't, I don't know if there are any other college coaches who would even really get that much hype, but certainly Tony Bennett's one guy we've heard a lot about. Yeah. And it's interesting with Tony Bennett. I've seen, I'm trying to think who it was. Some, one of the exes and all those guys that I follow on Twitter, I can't remember who it was. Um, he'll always talk about how he likes Tony Bennett and thinks that he would have a chance at, at the NBA level. And uh, Tony Bennett did, I think, I think he played in the NBA for a little while. Yeah, um, with Charlotte. Yeah, so like he was an NBA point guard like he's he's kind of been through it and maybe I shouldn't say he's an NBA point guard because the history well the very recent history of that for the Bucks didn't go so well um but I do I'm curious a lot of people are kind of excited about him and do think that he could be a good NBA coach but like you said that translation is always something that I'm just kind of terrified of is does the stuff that he does at a lower level work at a higher level like kind of uh, how how does that all work so it'll be something to keep an eye on um and at some point we'll have to figure out how to do a coach a coaching search here on lockdown bucks because i i find it difficult and maybe even impossible from the outside to really know like i can i can go through and circle assistants that i think are interesting uh who have done work uh at different places who have been featured somewhat in in different articles by national writers like i can find some of that stuff i can find uh guys that used to be coaches but like i don't i think from the outside it's largely nearly impossible to tell like i don't i don't know like i i can't tell you who the next best like the next best hire is going to be for an nba coach like i i don't i really don't know so um we'll we'll figure out how to do this as the summer goes on i guess maybe i'll just be throwing names up against the wall and giving you <laughs> short bios of them uh but we'll we'll figure it out we got some time to do so so uh that is going to be it for us for today on lockdown bucks bucks hawks on saturday bucks in cleveland on monday uh so we will probably recap that on sunday or you know what maybe even saturday night it's an early game maybe we could get it done saturday night i don't know we'll see uh we will uh we'll let you know and we'll have that episode up for you for frank man i'm eric name this has been locked on bucks we'll talk to you this weekend